Hello, and thanks for joining us. This is the BDO Financial Wellness Podcast, and I'm your host, Tara Bellio. In this episode, we're talking about problem debt, how to identify the signs, and what to do if it happens to you. If you're in debt, you're definitely not alone. Debt happens to a lot of Canadians in various forms and for a number of reasons. People borrow to better their lives by taking out mortgages or student loans. They borrow a little or a lot based on wants and needs, and sometimes people borrow out of desperation. But what should you do if your debt becomes a problem or is causing you and your family financial hardship? Earlier this week, I got to sit down with Jennifer McCracken, a licensed insolvency trustee with BDO Debt Solutions, to talk about causes and solutions for problem debt. Jennifer works in BDO's Lower Mainland offices in British Columbia. She and the debt professionals in BC, along with BDO teams across communities in Canada, help Canadians find the best solution for their debt problems. Welcome, Jennifer. Hello. Hello. So let's just jump right in. Um, For the majority of Canadian households, we know that debt just doesn't happen overnight. Uh, We've seen this in our own surveys about debt and affordability, and for a number of reasons, debt continues to accumulate month after month, year after year, and so on. So would you talk a little bit about what you and the local teams see in the BDO offices, especially in BC, as well as across Canada? Um, And in your experience as a licensed insolvency trustee, what causes debt problems? You know, I always say one of the simplest answers to this is that it typically is a combination of a significant life event and maybe a little bit of financial mismanagement or uh, inability to meet just basic living expenses. You know, Mm -hmm. where I live in BC, the cost of living is actually quite high. So you have a lot of individuals that are already living paycheck to paycheck or they're struggling a little bit with just having an emergency fund and setting money aside. Then what will typically happen is debt will accumulate slowly over time. And once you have debt, it is difficult to pay off and retire it in full. And then you factor in some type of life event. So whether it's a marital separation, a divorce, a health issue, and that's where things really get off the track. So for most individuals I meet, they've been struggling with debt for a really long time. Yeah. And I would say that a lot of Canadians generally, they probably feel like having debt is really normal. It's a really normal way of living. Uh, And there's some Canadians that would look at that and go, oh my goodness, it's not normal to have debt. But for a lot of folks, it is. And it's just because they, it's the cost of living. It's the cost of raising a family and they're bridging the gap, you know? And um, so it it tends to happen slowly over time and it tends to be coupled with some sort of significant event in their lives. And I mean, we talk about this a lot and within our marketing team when we're talking about what we're going to do. Um, Do you think shame plays a big role in it as well like you don't want to talk about it you don't want to reach out for help Oh, I, I 100%. Um, and I find, you know, one thing I find a lot in my meetings is that an individual will, will sit down, will sort of, you know, obviously I get to know a person, get a bit of their background. And as soon as they start talking about their financial situation, they'll start welling up and crying and they'll go, oh my goodness, I never normally cry or I'm so embarrassed that I'm crying. And I'll always say to them, let me guess, you probably have not talked about your debt to anybody. Yeah. And so the moment they start talking about it, they the emotions come in. So they're carrying so much baggage around with it. They're thinking about it day in and day out before they sleep in the shower. And when they start talking about it, all those emotions that come with it come out. Mm-hmm. They've been keeping it all bottled up inside. So yes, and the reason they keep it bottled up inside is they feel shameful for it. And that's the other thing that I like to encourage individuals, whether I'm doing a podcast or speaking or talking with my clients sort of face to face, is that, you know, 
unfortunately debt is a part of our existence for a lot of Canadians and so really it's around finding a solution it's around saying look I want to be debt free I want to change my life and so actually having debt in a weird way can become a transformative part of people's lives because when they get that under control and get that tackled Mm -hmm. other parts of their life seem to come into place so it, it is generally a warning sign there's other things going on in people's lives but it's also it can be the motivating thing to make change a really significant change in people's lives yeah I could see that um So speaking of warning signs, uh, what are a few other warning signs that could help people determine if their debt has become a very serious problem? You know, that is an awesome question. And I think more people need to ask us or there's been more awareness across the country about this because I'm going to give you some examples and I guarantee you people listening that probably every single person is going to go, yep, yep, yep. So basically carrying balances on your accounts, whether it's a line of credit account, unsecured account, a credit card. That is actually a warning sign because ideally you wouldn't have any debt. Mm-hmm. Uh, making minimum payments is a big one. So if you're not actually able to pay back the purchases within the month that you've actually put them on the card, you're actually now going to be carrying those purchases of the balance forward each and every month. So that tends to be a warning sign as well. I mean, some very obvious ones are things like when debts go into collection, paying things late, mm-hmm. right? Okay, well, my phone bill's due this day, but I already paid my visa. So now I'm going to pay the phone bill 10 days late. It's, um, a a lot of clients in my practice use the expression robbing Peter to pay Paul. They'll say, I've been robbing Peter to pay Paul for years. And that's really generally a warning sign that I think a lot of people, um, it starts to feel like a normal part of their financial existence, yes. but it, it generally is a warning sign that um, it would be important if anybody that's listening has that, that in their lives to really kind of take stock and go, wait a second, maybe I have a problem with my debt if I have all these warning signs, right? Now, is it all, would you say it's all of those or if it's one or two of those, it's like, is there a ratio that they should be looking at? You know, I would say it, it's, it's probably a combination. I mean, not everybody I meet has their accounts in collection. So I give that as an example, but most people I meet actually have been making their minimum payments and paid on time. So, you know, a debt in collections is not, you know, yes, absolutely. You need a bankruptcy or proposal if you have things in collection. That's not really the case, but it generally is a combination around um, making minimum payments, mm-hmm. carrying balances and living paycheck to paycheck and also not having a savings plan. So a combination of those things is generally a, a, pr- a pretty significant warning sign. Okay. Thank you. So let's get specific about credit card debt. We know it's a fact of life for many Canadians. I mean, everybody has been, you know, has a large credit card bill once, at least once in their lives. Exactly. Um, so, <laughs> but people might be surprised at how quickly debt can become unmanageable when or if they have to rely on credit cards to get by. And that could be happening, especially with what's going on now. So a recent survey from the credit reporting agency TransUnion found that credit card balances have actually decreased surprisingly, during Mm -hmm. COVID-19. So this might be the case in the months, this may not, sorry, be the case in the months ahead. So what's your advice for people who are currently struggling with credit card debt or are concerned about potential challenges in the months ahead, especially with CERB ending soon? Exactly. So I think this is a bit of a trepidatious time for a lot of people. So there's there are Canadians that have probably been carrying credit card debt. I mean, it's obviously good to hear the statistic that the, the uh, credit card balances have gone down. So I think Canadians have been focused on paying down their debt if they've had a decrease in expenses at this time. Mm-hmm. So that's a very good thing. But you know, one one advice I give, like I I talked to a client yesterday. She did, she doesn't need a proposal or bankruptcy, but she just needed these tips around paying off her credit card debt. So. Certain advice I give people is, first of all, go online to the online calculators. We have one on our BDO website. Mm -hmm. There's also one for the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada. So you can go on and insert the 
percentage, uh, the balance owing on the credit card, and then do the number of months that you want to pay it off. So you can get a sense of what is the minimum payment I need to make steadily each and every month to have this debt paid in 12 months or 24 months or 36 months. Yeah. Um, the other thing I encourage people to do is write down the balances on each account. What is the interest rate? Now, this is important because you want to tackle, for a lot of people, they want to tackle the high interest accounts first. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to go through and do that. The other thing you want to look at is, is there some low hanging fruit? So do you have a, a a credit card that has a $1,500 balance or $1,200. Get that. So people will do a combination of paying the smaller balance once first and then also tackling the higher interest runs just because it's more costly to have a, obviously a higher interest on a credit card and the higher the balance is, the more interest you're going to pay. So exactly. um, that's typically the advice I give. And then if it's really unmanageable and they're, they're not even, you know, a lot of people I'll say, they'll say to me, well, geez, I've had this balance on this such and such card for 15 years. Like literally they've been making the minimum payment for like wow. 15 years. So if you've been in a cycle where you've attempted to pay down your debt and you haven't been successful, you haven't mm -hmm. seen the needle move, then you would be wanting to explore your options more with a licensed insolvency trustee because you may need more drastic measures. But the first step is build out your budget, make a plan, implement it and see what success you have with getting that paid. Speaking of budgets, it's not something that you just kind of set and forget. It's something you have to consistently yeah. revisit, yeah. correct? So it, yes, yes. <laughs> so when they're revisiting it and they've paid that, you know, low hanging fruit off, is there any mm -hmm. tips or recommendations you can have for them to like how to take that money that they're not paying out to that low hanging fruit and a good way to distribute it or any other tips that you have around the living document that we call a budget? Yeah, so it's either the snowball method or the avalanche method. This is what we call it in, in the sort of the financial realm. But uh, if it were me, I would be then focusing on the higher interest account and getting that paid uh, down afterwards. So the low-hanging fruit is helpful because you feel a sense of success. Mm -hmm. It's one less thing you need to worry about. You can choose to cut up that card when you're done or go put it in the freezer and say, okay, well, I'm gonna, I need it to reestablish my credit and get my, you know, but I'm going to be very cautious about how I use it now. Yes. And then you tackle, I would be tackling the, the ones that have the higher balances and more particularly the ones that have the higher interest. And then you could either redistribute it across different credit cards or just go straight whatever amount you were paying for that other one just distribute it directly to the high interest one just move it over now okay that amount is now going to this particular account to get it paid that and so sense. when you think about it it's it's plowing down that debt as as quickly as you can right that's the goal that makes total sense so i guess getting into a little bit deeper so to what is your advice for people who are only able or willing to make the minimum monthly payments on their credit cards or line of credits or even their loans? Well, I mean, the thing is, people have to just evaluate what are the pros and cons, right? Um, you to, to think about if, if you do nothing, if you say, I'm just going to continue with the minimum payments, that should be a short-term solution, right? Because you, you do know that you're not actually paying off the principal when you make the minimum payment, or it's a very minimal amount going towards the principal. Mm -hmm. And you're paying more for those goods and those items that you purchased on yeah. that account. So that $1,500 drum set is now going to cost you how much over because it takes you 15 years to pay for it how much have you actually paid so the other thing would be to be cautious about using it anymore if you're not able to make more than the minimum payment you shouldn't actually be putting any purchases on that card so it would be very important to not continue using it to mm -hmm. really remove it from your wallet and you you really need to be on a plan to get that balance paid and not increase the debt load on it at all okay. and then the other thing i uh 
encourage people to think about is that because the interest rate generally is quite high on credit cards is that it may be more advantageous to go into a financial institution, see if you can get a loan, have a term set for it, reduce the interest rate. If you can find an option to basically transfer the balance for a, a lower interest rate so that you actually, in the long run, you're going to be able to pay that debt off sooner because the interest rate is lower. That's the other thing to think about. I mean, I know finance, you know, getting loans and going into financial institution is a very scary uh, time. And it's a lot easier for people to say, well, you know, it's COVID-19. And I think banks are all very cautious right now. I'm not even going to suss out my options. Just ask the questions, look online, phone it, phone into the bank and say, can you reduce the interest? What can I do? Like, trying to work with your lenders, just paying the minimum and not having a plan in place or contingency, it would not be my recommendation. You're going to want to build a plan around it to either transfer the balance or uh, work towards, you know, tackling the debt, say, in, in the next six months, really move away from the minimum and work towards making larger than the minimum monthly payment. You know, rejig your budget, do whatever you need to. That's some great advice. So, at one time or another, most of us have been hit with a big unexpected expense, a leaky roof, a car repair. For us, two years ago, our uh, heater went. <laughs> um, a dental bill, you can crack a tooth. Um, for people who don't have an emergency savings and don't have access to a credit card or a loan from a traditional lender, a payday loan would seem like a good idea for a temporary solution. Um, what should people be aware of before they take that step? Well, I would say it's really, I have to be honest with you, Tara, it's probably pretty rare occurrence that I would be recommending a payday loan just because there are so many fees associated with it. So someone can go in and go, oh, you know, the interest is only such and such on this. What you're not reading is like the rolling fees, the um, the initiation fees, that there's, there's all these other fees built into that agreement. So yeah. it's not just... The only question you're asking is not what's the interest rate. You've got to be asking other questions. There's a lot of fees associated with it. The other thing I would say to somebody who's considering it is that in my practice, I find that an individual that has a payday loan lender, they'll typically have not just one, they'll have two or three or four. And what happens is it becomes... Um, it, it causes a massive cash flow crunch for people so that they'll, they'll get the money associated with the payday loan, but making the minimum payments and paying that loan back mm -hmm. uh, in terms of like how they've planned to, once you factor in the fees and the interest rate, becomes very difficult to do it. And so what happens is they end up getting another payday loan and it's to, in part to make the payments on this payday loan and to make all these other payments. So it actually becomes a bit of a vicious cycle for people. So where an individual could avoid a payday lender at all costs, I, but in, in my view, and this is not slagging payday loan companies, but the reality is what I see for people is it becomes a bit of a cycle that's difficult to break out of. And that the fees associated with it are just so high that it is really the most expensive credit that you would be looking at uh, borrowing. So it has to be a pretty, you know, uh, extreme circumstance, like you say, it's the busted tooth or the, the furnace or whatnot. And um, you really do need a plan to get that paid back quickly. And if you can do it, then fine, it worked for you. But you would have to go in knowing you're going to run the risk that you're not going to be able to meet the payments associated with the loan. Mm -hmm. And you could be creating a cycle where you now need other payday loans just to get by. And some of those, um, you know, different types of rates that I mean, I had not heard of some of those that you mentioned. So like mm -hmm. where, what would you suggest if that is their only option, they go to research what some of those fees are, to know what the meanings are to win the fine print? 
there's tons of resources. So our website at BDO, we have a lot of resources associated with that. Again, the Financial Consumer Agency of Canada. But even if you just get, get a copy of the contract or ask, you know, whatever company it is that you're dealing with, ask point blank, what are all the fees within this contract? And you could even write it down, go home, Google it, look it up. You know, there's there's a lot of um, information now available on the website or on, on the internet rather and on various websites that you can be an informed consumer and you may find um, there could be one lender that has an initiation fee and another lender that doesn't have an initiation fee. I mean, I encourage people to look at this for things like secured credit cards because you have some secured credit cards that have a $10 annual fee and then others that have none. I mean, you, mm-hmm. can, you can really do your research and say, okay, this product from this lender, these are the fees and, and shop it out. Don't just go to the first place you go to. Exactly. Look around and, and really ask the questions and then do your research. Don't don't sign a contract the day that you enter, you know, and get the loan. Ask the questions. You do your research. Go home. Read up on it. Educate yourself. And um, and I you know I I don't know off the top of my head. You know this lender has this rate or this fee. But you you anybody who's in the market looking for a payday loan, you would be able to find all that out from every lender go home and do your research, sleep on it, and then make an informed decision. So uh, let's talk about disagreements over money and financial problems uh, being cited as one of the leading cause of relationship breakdowns or divorce. So knowing that households across the country are experiencing record levels of debt, uh, and also we're all locked in together. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> what advice would you give to couples who are struggling to agree on how to manage their finances? Well, I can say that in my practice, it is a significant issue in um, the lives of Canadians, right? Whether you're married, whether you're common law, whether you're like, you're not even living together, boyfriend, girlfriend, or what have you, it, it, their finances really can draw a wedge in a relationship. And so the one thing I encourage folks to do is do you have a financial date, whether it's a coffee, whether it's a date date, well, like, you know, maybe not in no, sipping on fancy wine in a restaurant talking about your finances, <laughs> but you could treat it as like, try to build some fun around it. And Make it a special time where you guys can sit down and connect. I always encourage joint bank accounts. I know some people go, well, I, you know, I really don't, I want some sense of privacy around my money. And if mm-hmm. I'm only, con- you know, you may have a plan around what you're contributing to the joint expenses, then just have a joint account that you're using for your joint, your combined expenses. But really it's being transparent, being open and honest with each other, being, cl- being open about if you have debt, mm-hmm. what's the minimum payment, really sitting down and saying, what are our expenses in the month. What is the income? Um, a lot of people too, you know, it is important that um, couples understand that where one couple is a higher earning income, yeah. there also should be, you know, you should allocate your expenses rateably. Like I know some people say, well, we're covering each 50% of the expenses, but her income is, you know, X percent, you know, higher than mine. Well, you, you sh- that's the discussion to have as a couple and say, yeah. okay, well, what's fair? Like, what amount are you going to cover? What expenses you're going to cover? And really have a plan around your budget. And then you have to look at it. You need to actually be looking at the budget and reviewing it. And so that's why I encourage you to sit down and have that date mm-hmm. monthly and say, how are we doing? And this is also where you set goals in your relationship. Yeah. So you're going to say, okay, honey, where's our, I mean, I know we're not traveling a lot due to COVID-19, but when we when the world sort of settles down, um, where do we want to go and how much is the vacation and how much am I going to save every paycheck and how much are you going to, and then this is where you're building out really fun life events and whether you're planning your wedding, whether you're planning, we're pregnant, baby's on the way, all of these things, you're going to plan that out. And so if you have 
a pattern, every relationship has its patterns. You have a pattern in your relationship to be talking about your finances and sitting down regularly and being open and honest about it. That's only going to set that. It's like think about roots of a tree. It's going to be very sound financial footing for your relationship. So those are some kind of easy um, things that I typically recommend to couples in my practice. I actually personally, it wasn't until I started working here that my husband and I started doing that. We didn't talk about finances really at all. And now what used to be a very um, tense, scary conversation, we have them now kind of in passing, like, hey, I'm thinking we should save up to, you know, do the bathroom. And I'm like, yeah, Yeah. okay, like, I think I can manage this. Or we were talking about we're getting a new vehicle soon. And it's like, well, what can you afford? And what can I afford? Because our, like you said, our, our pays are not equal. So why should we be equally contributing? It's not fair, because one person ends up with less money for themselves afterwards and then they then there's resentment Resentment. in the relationship and that's why i say that you know it's every you know i'm not in people's houses in, in you know a real I know, like those tv shows where the, the financial expert walks through the house and critiques everything <laughs> that's not what we do at bdo but i mean i can say that it is obvious when one spouse goes well, wait a second i work just as hard as you and i do this and this around the house and i look at why should it be 50 and that's exactly the kind of stuff you want to kind of hash out with your partner and say okay what's fair and you know if there's that resentment around the and if you can't that's this is why relationships struggle with it because if you have that issue can't work around it you attempt to this is what now causes that wedge and then there's then other issues kind of come into play right so it is really important that you want to be fair at the end of the day you're a household you have a combined household income you have certain expenses and as a couple as a family you have financial goals so there Mm -hmm. should be no reason why one partner is going to say no I'm not prepared to you know my income's higher I'm not prepared to pay more for the expenses that's a bit of a you know that it that would be an issue so that's why you want to have those conversations out in the open and say okay like find a solution that's fair and that's easy to integrate into your life. Exactly. So how does a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy affect debt obligations in a relationship? Uh, For example, what happens if an ex-spouse owes child support or alimony and files for bankruptcy? Uh, Will a consumer proposal or a bankruptcy filed by one spouse affect another? Well, a couple of good questions there. So um, I'll just tackle the, the questions concerning um, alimony, spousal, and child support. So those are not dischargeable debts. So the legislation in Canada exempts certain debt from being discharged just for obvious reasons. So um, an individual can participate and potentially receive money through the process, but it's not a debt. You know, a credit card debt, yes, that's a dischargeable claim, but anything relating to spousal support and child support would be a debt that survives the process and nobody can really walk away from those obligations in a consumer proposal or bankruptcy proceeding. What I see more commonly in my practice uh, relating to, you know, when there's been a a divorce or a separation um, and a lot of family law lawyers will do agreements up where they'll say, um, you know, Tara, you're going to pay the such and such card and your husband, he's going to pay the such and such card. But meanwhile, they could be joint. You, you both could have a legal obligation to pay both. But for some reason, when these agreements are drawn up, you're going to take responsibility for this account and he'll take responsibility for that account. What happens is legally, the credit card company or the bank can pursue both of you because mm-hmm. you're both legally obligated to pay that. And because it's a joint account, you're both co-borrowers. And what happens is if when one spouse does the um, an assignment in bankruptcy or consumer proposal proceeding, you've got you know a little knock on the door, that debt that he had said he was going to pay, he's not paying it anymore. And if it's joint in your name now, you're covering off 
the, the one that you kind of agreed to in your settlement mm-hmm. and this other new account. So it's one of those things uh, that I do strongly recommend for individuals that are potentially dealing with the marital separation and sorting out their finances is that you do need to be caught. You do need to know what accounts am I joint with my spouse on? What accounts do I have a supplemental card? The supplemental card agreement is, Mm -hmm. it varies based on the lender. You do need to understand what debt potentially am I exposed to? So think about the scenario where somebody separates, there's a supplemental card in my name and a year later, the balance has gone way up. If I have not somehow removed myself from that, even though the lenders doesn't care that we're separated, has nothing to do with it. I'm mm-hmm. still on that contract. So you do need to be cautious about, you know, you really want some finality around those items because you can be exposing yourself to bigger debt problems when you are a supplemental card holder or we are a co-borer and you haven't really um, nailed that stuff down as part of your separation and, and sort of the, sorting out your finances. So what about, um, speaking of separation, divorce, and debt responsibilities, what if it is not a joint card and you are told you are responsible for it? Are you? Well, I mean, there's going to, some of the separation agreements will provide that even though the card's not, it, the way the family law, at least in BC works, is it's considered family debt. So there would be a responsibility to make a, a contribution towards paying at least 50% of it. So there there could be an obligation within your uh, family law, minutes of settlement or whatever, that you would have an obligation to pay an amount either to the bank or, or to your ex. I can tell you though, legally, um, if, a, if a family, a husband and wife has a card that's only in the husband's name, they then separate. The wife does not have a supplemental card, is not a co-borrower. Legally, she is not responsible to pay the bank. Like if the bank were to actually pursue a claim and get a judgment, they could only get it against the main borrower. But there could be some obligation through uh, the family law process where an individual would actually have to make some sort of financial contribution towards the family debt. So. Um, I don't know if I've answered that well, but no, no, that was. I understand. It's a convoluted answer. I don't know what to say, but it's a convoluted situation. Is why I asked because there's yeah. so much around it. Like for example, um, if I if I am my husband, uh, I am in debt, ish, having debt issues that he cannot help me with, and I file for a consumer pos- proposal or a bankruptcy. A lot of couples think that it also affects the other spouse. And it doesn't. You're right. That's a really great example to give. And then a lot of people think too, what's going to be, so you know that that example you give where he's not responsible in any way, there's also a question of, are they going to report to my credit bureau that I, because I'm his wife, what if it, and it, it doesn't get on his credit bureau file. It has nothing to do with them. They're two separate and, you know, people and mm-hmm. they're, they're reported separately. So there is no impact. And so for a lot of individuals, they actually feel a sense of relief that they don't have these joint combined finances. Because when one spouse wants to do a filing and the other spouse isn't, doesn't need to, it is a lot easier and cleaner when they say, this is the debt. It's solely in my name and this will have no impact on my husband at all. I'm going to exactly. resolve the debt, deal with it. And it's not going to affect him in any way. Mm-hmm. And the sp- other spouse not helping doesn't necessarily mean that they they don't want to sometimes, you know, bills still need to be paid underneath. Oh, for sure. They, and they're, it could, absolutely. Um, I, and, and, you know, I don't see a lot where there's one spouse who's sort of sitting in the corner, sort of like pointing their finger at the, like generally when um, a couple and a family is having debt problems, you know, for, in most instances, there's been a lot of build up to it. There's been a lot of conversations around it and there's really just a need to find a solution. And so mm-hmm. it's not really a blame game situation where you're, I mean, there are times, of course, if somebody's, 
you know, had addiction issues or there's other things going on where that have caused the debt that could be an issue for the relationship or for the situation. But generally speaking, most people are on the same page of like, look, we just want to get the debt under control and we want We don't want to cause as little sort of damage to ourselves and our credit rating as much as possible once we, when we get out of debt. Exactly. So when overwhelming debt happens to a person, regardless of the reason or the cause, it's often accompanied by stress, anxiety, depression, Uh, loneliness, despair, anger, to name one of the many myriad of emotions that they go through. Um, What advice do you have for someone whose financial challenges are affecting their emotional well-being or their mental health? You know, I, I really, I mean, I feel so blessed to be in the work that I do because I really, truly feel that um, it's, it's such an opportunity to help people. And I, people should just know that there's no reason to be ashamed that you have debt, that life is hard. Um, and a lot of times there is a significant life event like a death or a failed business or a divorce or something like this that has really, they've, they've already been through so much personally. And the debt is just one other aspect of their life that, you know, they need, they needed to supplement their income. Their times were tough. There, there was a reason around it. And so it's easy to say, well, don't feel ashamed, but the key is to work through those emotions to understand, look, I'm not alone. I'm like hundreds and thousands of other people all over the world that have struggled with debt and I'm just doing my best. And the point now is I'm going to find a solution. It's, it's an opportunity for change. I'm going to change my life. I'm going to get out of debt. I've learned, you know, you've learned from your mistakes. You've learned from the hardship because a lot of times there is a hardship associated and you just, you've just got to find that solution going forward and know that a lot of people that work in this realm are very empathetic people. Like we, you know, we come in knowing every meeting, every conversation I have with something, I'm somebody, I'm going to learn something new or hear something different. Everyone's life is so unique. Yep. So you just have to know that this is just one part of your life and it's an opportunity for you to get it under control and you will feel that those emotions are normal and it's really common. But once you start getting your life on track in terms of having a plan to deal with your debt, it's amazing. Those feelings like they switch off. Yep. I always say to my clients, I mean, I know we're not meeting face to face anymore, but when we were, they physically look different. They yep. physically look like different people. And so you, that's the stress, the stress, it brings them down. They, they look tired. They look at they're they're, you know, really drawn in and they're really tight. They're physically different people after they get a solution in place, whether it's bankruptcy or proposal. And so that's the key to focus on. You're already here. We're not going to go through everything that went in. Let's just move forward. We're going to find the solution. And that's what's going to change your life and change those feelings. Not looking in the past and feeling guilty and ashamed over it all. That's not going to get you anywhere. Let's just look forward. Exactly. So um, what advice would you give to someone who has a friend or a family member who's emotionally struggling and suffering because of debt, financial challenges? How, what advice could you give them to kind of help get the person they love the help they need? I would say that, first of all, you want to show kindness and empathy and say, look, you're not alone. Um, if, if, that, if someone shares a situation like that with you and you've had your own personal struggle with it, open up as well because that, that person is already feeling alone. So if you have a close friend or family member, say, look, I've been through the same thing or I had a best, you don't have to name names, but you can say, look, I've known, I've talked to people this before. You're not alone. 
um, direct them to resources, you know, like for the work that I do, I'm a licensed insolvency trustee. There's free information, free consultations available. Um, I always encourage folks to, if, the, if there's a component of mental health, talk to your family doctor. There's lots of resources out there to get you back on track. And I think just being supportive and saying, I'm here for you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, we're going to find a solution for you. We're going to get out of this and everything's going to be okay. That's the advice you want to give and say, talk to a professional, talk to a licensed insolvency trustee. They're going to help you find that path. You could offer to go to, if they want, do you want me to go to the meeting with you? Do you want me to help you get your papers in order? Be a resource in it. And, and if they know you don't judge and that you're not making them feel embarrassed and you're, you're saying, let's be part of the solution, yeah. that's going to motivate them to make the change and to get their life back on track. Well, that is a great way to end our yes. interview today. Thank you so much, Jennifer, for sitting down with me. I really appreciate it. It's lovely. Thank you with for you. having me. <laughs> Have a good one. Yes, you too. Thank you very much to Jennifer McCracken, BDO License Insolvency Trustee, for taking the time to talk to us today. Also, thank you for listening to this episode of the BDO Financial Wellness Podcast. For more debt management resources, tools, and advice, visit our website, debtsolutions.bdo.ca. And for more podcasts and videos, visit our YouTube channel, BDO Debt Solutions Canada. And remember, we are here so that you don't have to face debt alone.